0: Well, good morning guys. How's everybody doing? Good, good to see you all. Happy Thanksgiving. That's coming up this week, right? Yeah, anybody thankful for anything? Yeah, a couple things maybe here and there. Yeah. All right. All right. So, I recently ran across a very interesting story. It was in a book that I was reading, and in the story there were a couple of different characters. There's Shane and Casey. <laughs> Shane is a pastor of a church down in Texas. And his wife, Casey, uh, does ministry with him. And in this story, they were talking about a couple that they had mentored and counseled. This particular couple had gotten together when they were very young. They were 17 and 19. She was 17. He was 19 when they first started dating. They got married a year later, 18 years old and 20 years old, respectively. And within a couple of years, they had already had their first baby. Now, at the point that Shane and Casey were counseling this couple, they were in dire straits in their marriage. You see, Casey had contracted this very serious disease called FOMO. That's fear of missing out. In case you're curious, it's not a real condition. You see, Casey had thought, I'm sorry, this girl had thought that she had missed out on the best years of her life. She was like, I should get to party. I should get to hang out with my friends. I should get to do the kinds of things that I want to do. But now I have this baby and I've got these responsibilities. And four and a half years into her marriage, she was ready to leave. In the book, there's a moment where Casey, the pastor's wife, comes home. And she had spent several hours with this young lady. Excuse me. And she's talking to her husband, the pastor. And he says, hey, how how did it go? And she's dejected and depressed and hurting. And she says, you know, I'm not sure they're going to make it. You see, after spending a fair amount of time, she said the killer phrase. God only wants me to be happy. Today, that's what we're talking about. We're talking about, does God only want us to be happy? We're continuing in our sermon series called Unicorns, Fairies, and Faith. We've been looking at a number of these types of questions over the course of the series. We started out in week one with, God won't give me more than I can handle. And we found out that actually, that's totally false. God always gives us more than he can handle, but he never gives us more than what he can handle. And then last week, we talked about God's will for our lives. And we noted that God actually cares about the way that we live our lives. That it's not just up to us, that God isn't just concerned with the big picture. He actually cares about the details. He cares about the decisions that you make, and that you make, and that you make, as well as the decisions I make. Even the little things make a difference in life. And today we're talking about happiness And happiness is such a a weird thing, right? I mean, happiness is something you see literally everywhere in our culture. It's even in the Declaration of Independence, like this great document, whoa, this huge thing. And it's amongst things like life, liberty, and what? The pursuit of happiness. Everything in culture is about you satisfying this desire for happiness, isn't it? How can I buy that one thing that's going to make me happy? How can I have this one experience? Maybe it's with my spouse. Maybe it's not. How can I have that experience? That's going to make me happy. How can I buy this one trinket or have this particular car or whatever it might be that makes me happy? You see, we're almost addicted to happiness. And yet, I wonder what The purpose of happiness is. What actually is happiness? Does God want us to be happy or does he want something different for our lives? And so today we're going to dig into this question and we're really going to explore three kind of main bucket areas. The first thing that we're going to do is we're going to explore what happiness actually is. We need to have an understanding of what we're saying when we say, God only wants me to be happy. Right? Then we're going to answer the question, does he really only want me to be happier or is there more to it? And then lastly, if there is more to it, what is that? And so if you'll join me, we're going to pray real quick and then we're just going to dive right in. Father God, thank you so much for this day. Thank you so much for loving us. Thank you, Lord, so much for providing for us. I ask, Lord, that you would be with us as we dive into this really crucial and really important and I think really misunderstood topic. And I just pray, God, that uh, in the midst of it, you would change us, change us into the kind of people that you desire us to be. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so i got a question. I want a little feedback here. What do you think happiness is? You can just shout it out. I want to hear from you guys. What do you think of when you think about happiness? Short term, okay. All right, that's a good one. Anybody else? Contentment? Okay, pumpkin pie blizzards, that's special. Um, What else? What else? Happiness. Family, okay, all right. Winning the Super Bowl, okay, go Cowboys. What else? I'm the one with the mic, you just gotta know that. Suffering (laughs) Suffering for Christ, there we go, happiness there, suffering for Jesus. Peace of mind, that's good, that's good. Fulfillment, all right. Good. That's, good, that's good answers. Let's look at what the dictionary says. Dictionary.com talks about happiness in this way. It says it's to be delighted, pleased, or glad as over a particular thing. So it's this idea of fulfillment, pleasure, joy, temporary joy over a particular set of circumstances. And that's a really important thing for us to know as we start talking about happiness. Is happiness is actually a response to circumstances that are pleasing. Circumstances that make us feel really good, right? So if you eat a good meal, say you have that really great steak, so long as you don't eat too many potatoes, right? You feel happy afterwards. Your circumstances are good if that's what you like. Maybe one of your kids like, has a great win at school, or they do really well at basketball, or whatever that might be. If that's a goal for you, for your kids to do well in things, then you'd be happy. You land a great business deal, and you're, it, it, it meets what your agenda is, what you're trying to accomplish that makes you happy. You see, it's a response to something else. But see, happiness is an emotion, And emotions are governed by a few things that we're going to talk about here real quick. First of all, again, it's an outside stimulus that causes us to have an emotional reaction. So let me give you an example. So anger is a really good example. Anger is not something that just exists in the middle of nowhere. Anger is about a brokenness that we see. We say, oh, that's not right. So my first initial emotional response is to be angry. Sadness is the same way. Sadness is all about loss. Now, whether it's that Domino's didn't have the topping I wanted on my pizza, or I lost a family member, whatever the loss itself is, our response emotionally is sadness. And again, happiness fits into this same idea, that when favorable circumstances happen, when things are the way that I want them to be, that I'm happy. But that's not the only thing. You see, in addition to being all about external stimuli, our response to it, it's actually something that you can't really control. So we can control our response to our emotions, we can control our behavior, but the visceral response in you, you cannot actually control. Let me give you another example. Let's say, for instance, that I stand up here and I say for the next seven days, I will not get angry. I will not get angry. Is that even possible? Well, of course it's not. Because I can't tell you what I'm going to have to deal with in the next seven days. That would be silly for me to say I'm not going to get angry. I mean, what happens when my kids are rambunctious and crazy little hoodlums, right? Hoodlums, that's not a word you hear very often. It's impossible for us to actually force our emotions into a particular place. In the same way, happiness, for us, we can't really control when things are the way we want them to be, can we? We can't control our response. We can't force ourselves to be happy. Now, we can play tricks on our mind. We can say, oh, actually, this really is the way I wanted things to work. But in the end, our response is what it is. That's another characteristic of being an emotion. Third is this, that happiness is all about our personal reaction to circumstances. So like what makes me happy might not be what makes you happy. Let me give you a really good example. Let's talk about my wife and I, Amanda, and our like for movies, our taste in movies. I love shoot 'em up Star Wars, like Marvel hero action movies. I love it. I don't know what it is about it, but I love the, the conquering and the, and the good guy winning and the bad guy being vanquished. You know what I'm saying? Anybody else like that? Yeah, there we go. There's a few. Now, my wife, she likes movies that are just a little bit different than that. She really resonates with a, with a love story and with a romantic comedy, that kind of thing. And those are, those are fine movies, but my taste is a little bit different than hers. And so if I force her to sit down and watch like Captain Marvel or one of these other movies, like I shouldn't expect that that's going to make her the most happy. See, it's very personal, the way that we engage happiness. It's very personal. And so now with with these kind of as our framework, emotions being about response to outside stimuli, happiness being an emotion, how we feel about something can't be controlled, and then it being a personal experience when we have happiness happen in our lives. Let's relook at this question. Does God only want me to be happy? I'm going to make a statement that I think actually encapsulates this, and you tell me if you agree, okay? To say... That God only wants me to be happy is to say that God will only allow my circumstances to be favorable and pleasure-giving to exactly what I want them to be without regard for how it impacts other people. Anybody like that? Let me read it one more time. This This is the shock and awe moment, right? To say that God only wants me to be happy is to say that God will only allow my circumstances to be favorable and pleasure-giving to exactly what I want them to be without regard for how it impacts other people. Church, that is the epitome of selfishness, isn't it? Like, I don't know if you could actually find a better definition of selfishness. God only wanting me to be happy means literally nothing can be off. Oh, and by the way, your taste's change over time. So what made you happy a year ago might not make you happy right now. Not only is it super selfish, but it's a moving target. (laughs) I don't know that I always liked plaid shirts. Maybe I did. Maybe I won't next year. Who knows? Happiness is flippant. It changes all the time and how selfish it would be if the only thing we ever said is, it's all about my happiness. God only exists to make me happy. Like, that's genie-in-the-bottle theology. And that's just not the way that it works. So now we have a decent definition. Let's go on to the next question. Does God only want to make me happy? Now, I think we've already kind of established an idea, but let's dig into this a little bit more. Mark eight thirty four. If you've got your Bibles, why don't you grab them? If you don't have a Bible, you can grab one from a purple chair. If you don't own a Bible that you understand very well, please take that one. Like, I'm serious. You can have that. Either that, or you can grab a device, or you can follow along with me on the screens back here. Mark 8.34 says this. Then he called the crowd to him, along with his disciples, and said, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. So this is Jesus talking to his followers, a couple hundred followers, not his closest crew, but the, kind of the next ring out. And he says to them, if you want to be my follower, if you want the satisfaction in life that only God will give you, if you want to really be that, you must deny yourself. That means that all of your happiness, all of your joy, you have to be willing to say, I'm going to move it from here to the side so that I can pursue God. You see, your happiness is actually not God's top priority. Instead, it's about His mission, it's about what He wants to do in the world. It's about how he wants to engage other people so that they might know him and might thrive in him, church. That is the very reason for which God executes the way he does in the world. Let me give you a really cool example. This is from the Old Testament in your Bible. It's on the far left-hand side. There was a man by the name of Jonah. Now, Jonah was a, a preacher, was a teacher. He was a prophet, And he was told by God to go to a place called Nineveh to preach to these people. God said, I want these people to know who I am, and you're the guy I'm sending you out. Now, the problem was that there was some racial and ethnic tension between Jonah and the Ninevites. Like, he didn't like them. He didn't want them to repent. He didn't want them to know God. And so Jonah, instead of being obedient to God... He said, I'm going to take a ship in the opposite direction. How many people have ever done that before? I know I have. God, you want me over here? Well, see ya. And that's what Jonah did. What happened in the story then is that God did some pretty crazy stuff. He caused this enormous storm to occur over the boat. He almost sunk the boat. They throw Jonah over the side, the people in the boat do, because certainly if you start throwing random people over, the storm will stop. I mean, it makes sense to me. Then a big fish swallows him. And while in the gut of this fish, God starts to work on Jonah's heart. And then this stinky, nasty in the process of being digested guy, gets spit out and goes to Nineveh. You see, what would have made Jonah happy is going to this other town. What would have made Jonah happy is, ah, the Ninevites should just burn. But that was not God's mission. That was not God's plan. And so God was willing to sacrifice Jonah's happiness for his own mission. And that is the way it always works, church. God is always first and foremost concerned that the maximum number of people would come to know him. That is his mission. That's why when we choose to follow Christ, we are not immediately taken up into heaven. Is because we have a purpose here. And that purpose is to see others know Jesus. Now I want to make a really important point here. really important distinction. I don't believe that God is against happiness, okay? Like, I know sometimes when when pastors talk about this topic, and they go into happiness, and they're like, ah, happiness is just, it's shallow, it's not what God wants, or this, that. I don't think that God is anti-happiness. And I've got some, some verses in the Bible that I believe back this up. Psalm 1611, you make known to me the path of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence and with eternal pleasures at your right hand. God desires that we, are, that we experience pleasure. God desires that happiness in us. John 10.10, 10, the thief comes only to ki- steal, kill, and destroy. I have come that you may have life and have it to the full. A full life includes some level of happiness, at least from time to time. And then Ecclesiastes 2.26, probably the strongest in this area. To the person who pleases him, God gives wisdom, knowledge, and happiness. But the challenge, church, is again that God is more mission-focused than your happiness-focused. That's just the way that he operates. So, so far to recap where we've been, we've explored what happiness is. We've seen how selfish it can be if that's really, truly the only thing we're chasing. And then we've answered the question whether or not God desires for us, above all else, to be happy. So what is it that God actually does want for us then? Like if it's not for me to have every desire and pleasure met, then what is it? If you still have your Bibles open, turn to John 15, chapter 11. Excuse me, John chapter 15, verse 11. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. God wants something so much more for you and for me and for the people that are not in this room, then happiness, he wants joy. Real, life-giving joy. And while joy and happiness like, kind of share some similarities, like I think in our culture you know, we talk about them as kind of the same. And and certainly there is some overlap. They are by no means the same. You see, more than anything, happiness is is temporal. It's momentary. It's fleeting. I mean, you could eat a greasy hamburger that determines whether or not you're happy, right? But joy is something so different, so much more fulfilling. Let's take a, a couple of minutes and look at what joy really is all about. Joy is a lifestyle built on contentment. Philippians 4, 11 says this, I have learned to be content in whatever the circumstances. Amen. Now this particular passage was written by a guy named Paul. Paul started out with everything by the world's standards. Like he had wealth, he had power, he had great education. I mean, he was like on the fast track to stardom. And then God grabbed him. And what happened is he was shipwrecked. He was beaten. He was beaten to the edge of death itself. He was ostracized. He was humiliated. And ultimately, he was executed for his faith. But yet, he still wrote this. Joy is a life that is content. And so maybe you're in a really hard situation right now. Maybe you're in a situation where you feel like you've been shipwrecked a little bit. Maybe you've lost your job recently. Maybe your kids are just ornery beyond what you could ever imagine. Hooligans and ornery in the same sermon? Wow. Maybe your marriage is on the rocks. Contentment isn't about your circumstances. It's about having The presence of God in your life in the midst of your circumstances. Because God will change what's in here, even if what's out here doesn't. Joy is also a life that is built on confidence. Built on confidence. 2 Corinthians 3 verse 4 says this, Such confidence we have through Christ before God. We have the opportunity to be confident because of what God has done through Jesus. And so we then can have confidence that God is with us. We can have confidence that our lives actually mean something. That when you wake up tomorrow, it's for a purpose. Right? We can have confidence that our pain isn't wasted. That God has a reason for it, a direction for it we can have confidence that our circumstances don't define our identity. Have you ever thought about that? That your circumstances don't actually define who you are. So if you have that illness, that's not who you are. If you have that disability, if you have that struggle in your life, that is not your identity. Your identity, if you are a follower of Jesus, is that You are his. And we can have confidence that God loves us. True joy gives us confidence. Joy also is a life built on hope. That tomorrow, that beyond, that the last time I close my eyes on this life, there will be something so much better. Isaiah 40, 31. But those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. That is one of my favorite passages in the entire Bible. If you want something to memorize, memorize that one. Yeah. Jeremiah 29, 11. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you a future and a hope. In Psalm 42:11, why my soul are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise Him, my Savior and my God. This is the nature of joy. Isn't that so much more appealing than like how you feel after a meal or something? How you feel based on what your boss tells you at work? How you feel based on how your kids act, based on if your car starts or not, based on the weather. I mean, come on. We live in Minnesota. The weather's awful most of the year here. (laughs) Just being real, man. This is real talk. How much more satisfying is it to have contentment, to have confidence? And to have hope. So the big idea for us today is to not settle for happiness. But to seek joy. Amen. Happiness is going to happen. And you know what? I hope it happens frequently for you. I do. You know, I, I like to be happy and I hope you're happy too. But it is not worth your time to chase. It is not worth your time to chase it. We should chase Joy, fulfillment that only comes from joy found in Christ. So what do we do? How do we actually accomplish that in our lives? Well, I've got a really corny one for you guys today, okay? Anybody ready for something corny? So, the acronym for joy. If you follow that acronym, as you seek joy, if you seek to love in this order, you will have joy. It starts with J for Jesus. And then O is others, and Y is you. Right? Let's start with Jesus, okay? I love this quote from Dwight Moody, great pastor, theologian. The Lord gives his people perpetual joy when they walk in obedience to him. When we seek God, when we live the way he says we should live, which isn't easy. I'm not pretending like it's easy. He's going to satisfy us, and he gives us joy, joy that we can't even put our finger on. First and foremost, you should seek Jesus. Now, this is a really good first step. The fact that you're sitting here today and you're listening to me ramble on and on, that's a good first step, that you're involved in a church. And I'm thankful that here in Elk River and in in our community in general, there are a lot of really great churches that are pushing the gospel, the good news of Jesus forward. I'm so thankful for that. But that's not enough by itself. Like, you need to be involved more. And what I mean by that is you need to have personal disciplines around knowing God and loving Jesus. Now, I'm not the guy that wakes up at 5 in the morning and, like, exegetes Scripture for two or three hours before I go to work. Like, I'm sorry if you're disappointed in that, but I'm not that guy. What I do is I listen to the Bible predominantly on my drive to work. I've got the Bible app, the, the Uversion Bible app, and I've got a couple of like plans that I listen to, and I go in there, and I listen to three or four or five chapters of the Bible on the way and home. And that's what I do. And that's a great discipline to get into. It's easy, it's simple, and hearing the Word of God cascade over you will change your life. In addition to that, Getting involved in a life group. Get involved in a small group opportunity. If you've never been in one, I'm telling you, it's worth your time to try. And if you don't like it, you can get out of it. It's not hard to just say, look, it's not for me, but I think you should try it out because I actually kind of think it is for you. Getting involved in a place where you can be poured into, being a community of people that love you, that seek God together, so, so, so important. So J is for Jesus. O is for others. This is the idea that we should always seek to love others before ourselves. Now, I'm a pretty um, outgoing, kind of gregarious person, if you didn't know that about me already. But even if you're not a people person, that's not an excuse for not loving others. Now, it doesn't mean that you have to, like, turn in to me. It doesn't mean that you have to, like, ask people over to your house and, like, spend a lot of time with other people. Like, I know that exhausts some people. Some people aren't, like, filled by that. But there are ways that you can love on other people where it doesn't have to exhaust you. There are creative things you can do. So maybe what you could do is write cards to people. You don't even have to talk to them face to face. Maybe you could serve. I know there are many people in this church that need someone to love on them. Even if it's not just dialogue. Even if it's like, you know, I need to fix up my house to sell my house. Or I need to, like, my car's not working and I just need somebody to help. That's loving on others. But unfortunately, no, 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 no. Not unfortunately. The command from God is to love others. And real joy, real joy, is found in that, in loving others as well. So J is for Jesus, O is for others, and Y is for you. Now this is something we don't talk about a whole lot, but the way in which you care for yourself actually does matter for your own joy. God actually cares about the way you live. And so the way that you take care of yourself The way that you engage your job, the way that you engage your family really matters. Now, if you are perpetually tired, you might not have the right rhythm in your life. You might need to re-engage that a little bit. What does it look like for you to separate if you need to? Jesus did that very thing. Jesus, on a regular basis, separated. He spent time with the Father And let me be honest, I mean, unless you're healing people and making, you know, lame people walk and blind people see, you are probably not as busy as Jesus was. I mean, right? Anybody in here do that kind of stuff? Not regularly, right? If Jesus did it, I think we should too. I think it's important to separate ourselves sometimes. To refresh ourselves. To know the things that make us better human beings. And that's the why. So we got the J, we got Jesus. We should love him first and foremost and seek him first and foremost. We have others we should love and seek them too. But then also we have ourselves on the list that we should also do what we need to do to take care of ourselves. Happiness is cool, it is. But it is nowhere near as cool as joy. So the fairy tale is that God only wants you to be happy. The reality is that God only wants you to be filled with joy. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for this truth. Thank you, Lord, so much that you seek to fill us with joy. The true joy, real joy, only comes from knowing you. And God, I pray that you would begin to stir in our hearts. and Lord, if there's anyone in here who's like, man, I, I, I hear what you're saying, but like, I just don't know about this Jesus guy. I, I, just don't, I, I just don't know. I pray, God, that you would begin to move in their lives and in their hearts. God, I pray that in, in every way you would just do a great work in us. Lord, we love you. We commit ourselves to you today. In Jesus' name, amen.